0: Welcome to the show. I'm your host Scott Wurtzbacher. Today, we're going to find out how following our voice that calls to adventure can change your perspective and show you how a chance encounter can change the course of your life and what you choose to do with it. That's exactly what happened to today's guest after two adventure trips he took to Africa almost 20 years ago. All these years later, the perspective he gained on those trips have stayed with him as a continuous reminder to be grateful for all that we have and to be compassionate to others, especially those who have suffered great tragedy and loss. Our guest is Roy Wright, a disaster safety expert and recognized resiliency shaper. A native of California, Roy currently lives here in my home city of Charlotte, North Carolina with his wife and two children. For two decades, he served in roles that put him on the ground in the immediate aftermath of weather-driven and climate-related disasters. He is the CEO of the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety and the former chief executive of the FEMA National Flood Insurance Program. Roy believes that the continuing cycle of human suffering that strikes families and communities in the wake of severe weather can be broken, and he's dedicated his career to that effort. His is a story of man against nature. And it's a story of compassion and a deep desire to end human suffering. And it all started when he said yes to a chance invitation to go on an adventure with friends. Roy, my friend, welcome to the campfire. It's good to be with you, Scott. I am so, so I'm giddy about this conversation. I mean, this is... It's really big stuff. I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years. We, we we've shared many a many a coffee meeting together, just kind of chat and getting to know each other. And um, you know, hearing this story that you're going to tell us about this trip to Africa, and then putting the pieces together to kind of understand the big picture, it's it's truly been enlightening and inspiring to me. Appreciate it so much. You're a friend, and you've been a huge mentor to me. And so I can't wait to share this story with our listeners.
1: You're very gracious.
0: (laughs) Um, If we can, I mean, let's just, let's just get right at it. And let's, let's talk about 20 years ago and this chance encounter and opportunity to go to Africa.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So 20 years back, uh, I was with a group of friends. um, And so a dozen of us go to Kenya. Uh, and, uh, my wife, Wendy, uh, and a, a whole set of folks, uh, that were going over to hold two things in tension. We were going to volunteer, um, for a good bit of time, uh, working with some social services, uh, and some churches and some other pieces. And we were going to juxtapose that, uh, that time, um, with going out on safari, right? So you, you kind of hold, talk about this, this tension. So 2002, um, and we, we go in, we, we arrive in Nairobi, um, which is an amazing East African city. I think uh, of the countries across Africa, but particularly East Africa, Kenya's probably viewed as one of the uh, most stable as they've gone through their independence. Um, yet you can be in a city center in Nairobi. And then um, just a little ways out, you start um, interacting with some very, very large slums. Uh, and by large slums, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, the largest one, uh, Kibera, uh, probably about a million people. Um, but there, a series of these um, pieces, um, I think for those listening, I think in your mind's eye, it, it does look like a very, very um, compressed place, all dirt. Um, you know, there's Wall construction it can be of mud or various pieces uh, with a, a very simple roof. Yeah. And then you have the, the pieces that we would eventually go to out on the big uh, kind of Massimara uh, piece that was there. I went on this first one because I was invited. Yeah. Right. I had some folks, you know, talked about you know, the importance of going out and actually living your life and interacting with those that were marginalized uh, and doing those pieces and seeing a part of the world that I, I had never seen. Yeah. Uh, I had been a couple times uh, to Europe, uh, but I hadn't done much international mm-hmm. travel. Um, and you get plopped into this city. But I think about you know, folks you have on this, it, like, there's this compelling sense of adventure. Uh, for this first trip, I, I don't think I get any credit for that. Uh, I'm a social creature who wanted to be with the people I was going with. And, and on that first trip, uh, we interacted. We did some volunteer work. We got to uh, interact with folks that were there and interacted with one particular organization. Uh, that did microenterprise work. Yep. Uh, and by microenterprise, they particularly worked uh, to help folks get micro loans um to kind of change the trajectory of their life uh, and their family. First trip happens uh, and it was compelling. We loved it. you come home And there was this nine sense that I should do that again. That there, there was something something about it that wouldn't let me go. Mm. And so along with a couple other friends, we started planning another trip. And planned it in a similar kind of way. Uh, so but smaller group, this time, when we came into Nairobi, we were exclusively going to work with this one organization that was uh, working on the microenterprise side. Uh, and then we would head out onto
0: the Masimara. I love this. You, you talked about this gnawing sense. Yeah? And I might, I might call that what we say on this podcast is that voice that calls to adventure. And so you said, and I think everybody hears that voice differently. And you mentioned other podcast guests and, you know, people have this call to adventure and your, your call to adventure was friends saying, Hey, let's go. And you being a social creature, that was your call. And you said, yes. And, you know, now, now you've got this. What you called a gnawing sense. And I wonder if you could just elaborate on that gnawing sense.
1: You know, that gnawing that sense, th- there was something in that context that was wholly unlike my upbringing, my rather, rather simple upbringing uh, in a blue collar family in California. Um, and some of it, really directly just from a faith perspective it said you're supposed to you're supposed to not just talk you're supposed to do you're supposed to engage with people uh at the margins and i had been around that but had never really had that deep experience mm-hmm. but what, what compelled me to go back was ironic maybe not ironically there was this piece i was working as a management consultant at the time okay and I realized that I could go on this adventure and I could spend this time in Nairobi and put my vocation to use and do it in a way that left and lived in this really poignant tension of really, really deep pain that you would see in these communities setting against this profound beauty you know the, the Masumara which is the north side of the Serengeti Serengeti on the uh, Tanzania or Tanzania side of the uh, of the line and the Masimara this big the great Rift Valley where you can see the big five and you can do these pieces and you're out in this vast expanse you see and hear things but it was that time on that first trip out on the the Masumara where I'm like I'm supposed to do something with this. I shouldn't just be cheap talk. I need to go do something with it. To be honest with you, I got on the plane, went home, and I probably pack it, packed it away for a while. Sure. Uh, and it was months later that our this small group of friends of mine, particularly uh, Lauren, Air, and Brad, Noise, give you a picture of us out on this this yep. other trip uh, that we had said we should go do this again and let's go be in this space again this sense of your vocation meets that that deep need in the world that that sense that you got something you can give and it's wholly unlike it you know this kind of juxtaposition so at the time i'm working as a management consultant uh i don't know know, charging a couple hundred bucks an hour to give advice to people yeah Uh, hopefully it was good advice yeah <laughs> and you then sit in this this context where there were people who were looking for a loan that was equal to two hours of my billable time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and if they could get a loan for four or five hundred bucks they could fundamentally change the trajectory of their f- life their children their family family, right? They viewed it as generational wealth. Mm
0: i would never seen anything like that. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. Did you know that the members of my real estate team, W Realty Group, are listening to their own voices that call to adventure by setting big goals. Some of those goals include planning trips to Bali and the kingdom of Bhutan, buying investment homes and running the Chicago Marathon. At W Realty Group, we support and encourage these big goals and want to help turn them into reality. We're currently looking to add new members to the team. If you know a great real estate agent in the Charlotte, North Carolina area that would benefit from being part of our team, please send a text, an email, or give me a call. And know that when you support W Realty Group, you're also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. It was... Really, really extraordinary,
1: and so that 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 you think about call uh, that nine sense that call to adventure first time was probably going along with folks. The second time was I got to go back. I got something I need to bring, and I thought I had something to learn, and I didn't know what it was. Honestly, this nine sense goes. There's something more to learn. Yeah, I'm, I love it. So you go back. I go back. So we go back in 2004. Uh, I'm in Kenya uh, over uh, about three weeks that includes my 30th birthday.
0: Okay.
1: Great dinner, uh, literally out in a tent on um, yep. <laughs> uh, my 30th birthday out uh, on the Masimara. Mara. But um, you go back and we just sat with folks and helped them write business plans to get microenterprise loans, right? day after day. That's all we did. Right. And so this is the kind of thing I'm going to, you know, you think about business plans and you got to have the, the elements that are there and probably a couple poignant stories. Um, you, you want to go w- w- with the, the, the joyous one or the hard one first?
0: Hmm. <laughs> let's, let's go, let's go tough and then we'll bring it around to some joy.
1: Okay. So we were interacting with one of, uh, the mid-sized organizations, um, north side of Nairobi. And it was a um, socially driven organization. They were an AIDS clinic and provided a whole lot of social services and ran a a series of businesses. One of those businesses made rugs that were sold there in Kenya, but were exported outside uh, outside of the country as well. Mm And they had an affirmative action policy. You could only be employed there if you or an immediate member of your family was HIV positive. Mm. And they said, hey, a lot of people need jobs. We're going to make sure that this particular group had jobs. Uh, And you look at how beautifully the place is set up and the elements that are there and how they integrate the whole family. And they came from this one particular slum But they had an integrated social services piece. And so we were taken on a walking tour with uh, one of the social workers um, throughout the community. And it's my second time back. I've been through some slums. This particular one uh, was built on a rock quarry. And so it was different than what I had seen in Kibera, where it was all mud walls. Uh, It was all granite. Um, they were stone kind of walls, still the, the simple, uh, metal roof and kids running around and we were interacting with people who worked there. Mm -hmm. We arrived, uh, at one home and, um, I don't speak Swahili or the other, uh, local languages. And so you're working through and we got to a place and it was different. There was a lot of people coming in and out and so the social worker walks in. And just inside the door um, lies the body of a 10-year-old boy who had died overnight of AIDS. Oh, my gosh. And she walks out and tells us this. And it's, it's devastating. And the mother is standing five feet away. Yeah. We're standing outside. It's that moment you feel hopeless. Yeah. And helpless, right? Like, what am I supposed to do? And we look at each other, the guys that are traveling together and I never really had an experience yeah. like that. And so social worker turns to us, gets our attention and says, um, the, mother, the mother, would like you to, um, mother would like you to step inside and, and, and pray for the kid. Like, ah, no, 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 I I don't, I don't think you understand. I, wow. I, I don't speak the language. I don't know what to do. Um, and it was this crushing moment where you're like, this family is in utter grief. What is it like to lose a 10-year-old? What's it like to lose a 10-year-old to AIDS? I don't know. It was all really cloudy in my own memory of that space. It was very searing. Um, and in time, we go to walk away. Uh, and walked back towards the, where the business area was set up. And uh, my buddy and I looked at the social worker and said, well, what's next for yeah. for their family? And they said, well, um, they'll move forward to have a funeral. There are some, um, there's some dollars that'll need to get paid for that to happen. Yep. Um, and so what, 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 what is that? And yes. she said, well, there's a series of things that come together. Uh, it's." Um, about $150 and you think about this for a second, it says $150 and you're right. like, these are people who are living on one to $2 a day. And mm-hmm. You're like, how, how does that all come together? And Brad and I immediately go, so oh, paid. We, we, we're, we're paying that. And the social worker not. just shook her head, no. We said, no, 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 we, we, we insist. You know, it's, it's the least we can right. do. Right. Um, we were the guest walking through the community. We were the guest on this space. And there was a push and pull there, yes. back and forth. And she lands with this. She goes, I can't allow you to do that. We don't have the ability to pay for everyone to bury their children. I can't allow you to do this. I can't choose winners and losers this way. It'll all come together. This community will come together for this family. Right. And it's this moment, like I'm American, I put money on this thing, solve this problem with, with money. Right. <laughs> no, this is I mean, not a this, problem. You solve this, the is, money.
0: this is the American way, right? Like, I mean, right. you know, I'm, I'm listening to you. I mean, it starts with you're a consultant making a couple hundred bucks an hour, consulting with people, yeah. writing loans for people. For, you know, loans that they're going to have to pay back for, for, you know, what, like you said, and now we're talking about this. It's like one hour and and you want to just make it go away, but that's not, it's just, yeah, it's not how it works. Right. And
1: it was this moment that in so many ways, you know, disasters befall people in the United States. We tell people give, you know, give, put, put money in place. And there's so much truth to it. We need money for resources to do this. And so my mindset was simply put money on this. It wasn't the option. So we hit this spot, this spot and we're walking back and we're now in the rug factory. And I'll give you this picture you can put in your show notes. Uh, there was a rug that was in their store display area. It's mm-hmm. uh, four pieces that yep. kind of hangs vertically about 12 inches yep. square a piece that is this beautiful deep blue and orange. And that day, I, 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 I I felt helpless. I want to help this family that's lost their kid. And I said, well, I should buy some stuff. We should put some money into this community. Yep. And we bought this. And this particular rug, I, had a, I loved. And I bring it home with me. Um, and it hung in my study at home for a while. And then it came to work. Um, and now for 17 years, it is sat, it is hung on the wall yeah. in my um, office across you know, three different organizations and probably six or seven different offices I've had. And it's always, I hang it just, just outside of the view. If I'm looking at my computer screen, this is what sits there. It's on the wall. Yep. And that rug reminds me that I don't have bad days. <laughs> Um, I, don't get me wrong. My life has complexities and there's joys and there's disappointments and there's even pain. But I, I, anytime, whether I'm in the middle of a financial issue for work, a, a people issue for work, a strategy issue, a um, piece of this going on in my personal life, because man, I don't have bad days. Uh, because walking through that slum, I walked into a home of someone they they were having a bad day. yes, right and There's this perspective that is there. isn't, isn't that life isn't hard uh, right? You, you, can, you deal with the death of a father, you deal with sickness in your family, you deal with things that fall apart for your kids. Yeah, yeah this is, stuff is this is hard. got I gotta tell you, you know you, you're sitting some 18 years later and going, wow, this trip keeps sitting right There and occasionally, not often, but occasionally, someone will walk into my office, sit there at the conference table, and they'll say, What is that rug? Right? You know, most of the things hanging in my office deal with disasters and you know, wildfires and hurricanes and houses blowing apart. And uh, so, what is that? I says, Oh, uh, that rug is about perspective. That rug is about
0: perspective for whatever it is we're talking about today. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this has become your career, which is something I mean, that's always yeah. there in the background. And it's this always is, there. This is what's so mind-blowing to you. So I'm going to just reflect back a couple things because we spent a little bit of time talking about that gnawing sense. Yeah. And I, where we got to was you made a statement that we stopped on was that there's something for me to learn. I'm going to go yeah. back because there's something for me to learn, yeah. and I, I'm not sure that you knew what that thing was. But clearly, like there was a learning that came out of that second trip. There was. Um, I think that learning
1: is um, to to put these principles of life into action. For me, that that that's rooted uh in an element of faith but it's also rooted in a, an element of just this is what life has brought me and if that's what life brings me um how do i how do i get back you know this is the piece again this wasn't the adventure this wasn't the trip from this wasn't my trip to argentina last year which had a lot of cool things to it this yes. was one of those things that goes, it was just that seminal piece that hits you it, so let me you let me tell this other side for a moment. So one of the other kind of poignant moments on that second trip is working on one of these business plans to get a loan. Uh, there's a lady. Her name is Dorcas, and Dorcas is the fish lady. Dorcas, the um, fish and so Dorcas lived in one of these um, these smaller communities in the edge of town, and um, she sold fish. She would get in one of these matatus, these little small vans. They would pack 20 people into them. She'd go to the center of town, uh, to the market. She would buy fish in a plastic bag and she would come back. It was an hour, hour and 20 minutes each way. Uh, You did not want to be the person sitting next to her in the hot matatu (laughs) carrying her bag of fish. She would come back and as people ended their day, she would sell um, fish. Mm -hmm. Um, And... um, She'd fry them up immediately and people would take them and and take them home. Well, she never knew how many fish to have. And so she would often get 40 to 50 a day. Some days she could sell them all. Some days she would only sell 20 or 22 of them. Um, Well, when you do this, she ended up throwing away or giving away a whole lot of fish. Mm -hmm. She wanted a loan to buy a freezer. Because if she had a freezer, she could take the fish at the end of the day unsold and save them for tomorrow. Right, she had she could she had access to electricity uh, and the like, uh, and th- this freezer was going to cost um, about four hundred dollars. The business plan said by four hundred dollars uh, going into this, uh, she was going to change her average uh, net income from one dollar a day to five dollars a day. At that point, she could pay for her kids to go to school. If her kids went to school and her kids went to college they wouldn't live in the community she did Mm -hmm. her children and grandchildren would have a very different experience Mm -hmm. you're in this moment and you're like i've never worked so hard to make sure that the words on the page are compelling for the return on investment right her entire return on investment was going to play back she was going to have so she'll have the loan paid back in 19 months yep Right. Uh, these are pretty fast business loans as a place, right? But you have this moment that goes, man, I had a, a day job to help people put together business strategy to, to optimize and be more efficient and you know, get more out of their team and all these kinds of pieces that were there. And it was important work. Some of it was for government agencies or nonprofits that like. But I found this moment where my deployment of adventure going out into on this trip, Man, I I found that the things that, that were my passions in my day job, the thing that got me up working plenty of hours a day, were useful to someone else. Yes. And actually far more um, flourishing. Both that deep pain of that 10-year-old's loss and Dorcas, who did get her loan, um, and the business plan behind that, happened on the same trip. But that's all packed over a couple of weeks in town working these pieces and then we head out to the Masumara um, for what was going to be my 30th birthday and that's when it clicked because I got to tell you in the moment uh, in that rock quarry driven uh, slum with that 10 year old who had passed I didn't know what it meant. When I was working with Dorcas and other ones of these, there was a whole work, we would do these workshops each day to help people work through these elements. And uh, I had to stop. And Scott, you know me well enough to go, I go, 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 go. I'm not very good at sitting and being quiet. Um, You'll you'll tell me about how wonderful meditation is. and, and, And I agree with you. And when I can get myself to focus for 15 minutes in one place, a lot of things can come together. But this was a moment that I then had four or five days out on the in the great rift valley. Yes. yes, going out and seeing animals and a lot of time just sitting. Yes. Uh and doing some riding and going, "What is this?" Cuz if I can so if some of this stuff can gel at 30, that can be that can be pretty magical. That can be more than magical. If you can get those Th- those fundamentals in place and say, I'm I'm going to take this learning uh, and I'm going to take it into the next two, three, four decades uh, of life. That's quite a gift. There's a lot of friends and acquaintances are asking that question at 40 or 45 or 55 or whenever their midlife crisis uh, kicks in and says, what, what can I do that's meaningful in this space? But an adventure, at twenty-eight
0: and thirty. Gave me that gift. It's it started there. But yeah. you know, for for uh for those of us that might be thick, right, it, it clicked for you. Yeah. And you said if I can take those fundamentals, that's that can carry me into the next two, three decades. So what yeah. what what are those fundamentals for you?
1: I find ways to start applying it just in terms of how I sit today. So, you know, I spent a lot of time after disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, floods, wildfires, uh, and you interact with folks on really, really bad days. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes that family has lost everything they have. Um, sometimes they have no insurance and so they, they're financially going to be entirely ripped apart, but maybe even more so their, their community texture, every, all the fabric of that community is being ripped apart by the disaster they're they're being displaced. All of the elements that are there in this juxtaposition about people with profound poverty and then sitting against profound beauty. Um, I learned to watch, I learned to see stuff. And I, 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 I learned to not jump too far in front of myself. There's some conversations. You've got to listen. Right now, in that moment where the 10-year-old has passed away, I'm like, let's go. Uh, here we are. We're going to put money in this. We're going to solve it. And I'm like, wait a second here. I, I won't do that now. She doesn't say I might not offer money in that space, but I would go, I want to understand this family's context. I, want to, I need to understand what, what they're experiencing. I need to understand it through their ears, through their motivation. Uh, Their ears and their motivation, right? So this is true now for people who work on my staff. This is true uh, in areas where I deal with disasters. Um, On my better days, it's true in my own family. (laughs) That I'm listening and not just jumping to the end and saying i've got an answer for you um because i might be pretty good at coming up with pathways forward and i might be pretty good at coming up with strategies but it needs to meet them not me (laughs) right um there are no cookie cutter there are not a lot of things you can just hit rinse and repeat on i gotta hear it through their ears and i gotta understand their motivation
0: and meet it there And, and and this is what you've done. So you have this experience and then the next 20 years of your life unfolds. And, and, and again, just going back. So call to adventure was friends saying, let's go do this. Then there's this gnawing sense. Right. And, and the impetus for the second trip was just looking back at my notes here. Roy says, I want to do something. I want to engage. Right. So you could have come back from that second trip. And then you said, I know there's something to learn. Right. But you could Mm -hmm. have come back from that trip with a renewed sense of compassion. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was this deep sense of, I want to do something.
1: There was a sense I want to do something uh, that drove that second trip. I think with 15, 18 years uh, perspective now on that second trip, I can tell you what I learned was I didn't need to do Um, what I, what I need is to hear. What I need is to listen through their view, Mm -hmm. (laughs) their need, uh, their, their motivation. And it was in that it was kind of really succinct salient moments where you go, I can, yes, I can be useful. I, I, I can do something. But before you do something, listen, right? And so I, I now sit in a space where what I, 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 it, it, I got to spend my time figuring out what's the most beautiful question yeah, as opposed to having the most perfect answer.
0: Well, you, you've listened quite well over the last 20 years, but you also know how to act and implement because, I mean, you know, in, in this... In my introduction, right? I mean, this is a story about man versus nature. This is a story about trying to put an end to human suffering. And this is what's come out of this trip to Africa. And you've, and you've done this.
1: We, we do, right? So I you know the work that we do at the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, IBHS, which is it's a nonprofit that works on, we, we crash test buildings, right? Yeah. We, we find out what is it when Mother Nature comes barging through the front door of a family's home. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we stop that? How can we mitigate that, right? And so... Uh, We've got ways to help narrow the impact of wildfires. And we've got ways so that you can survive hurricane force winds and keep the roof on your house and not have water come in and not have your roof entirely pop off. Some beautiful science in that space that turns into things that goes into how you retrofit homes and how you build out communities and uh, brilliant, brilliant pieces that we can put out there. And all the best science has no effect unless you can translate it into a family, a developer, a builder's willingness to implement it, a community's willingness to make that the requirement in their community. Uh, And so you're trying to nudge people. And if you're trying to nudge people, you don't do it by chastising them and, and saying, thou shalt do it this way. You have to do this. And if you don't do it, it's stupid. Yeah. No, no, that actually doesn't motivate anyone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so now I'm in a space, you know, and I was there after Katrina uh, came and Sandy and um, the elements related to uh, Hurricane Harvey. And you're in these places where people have experienced really, really bad days. And what I've learned is to ask the questions, to get to understand where they're at, because they will then become the folks to advocate and says, there's a better way. Mm. You don't need to experience what I experienced. Uh, you know, I sit now and still work on things related to housing here in the United States, and how do you make sure that people have what they need? And you know, I was down in Alabama with uh, a, a, a gentleman, um, some folks through Habitat for Humanity and some others had donated dollars. He got a new roof uh, that had kind of sealed roof decks. It was a fortified roof. It was a great roof. It was this was a house that he had uh, inherited from his family. And, you know, it was a, an event, all these things celebrating and talking to Mr. Adams. And says, "So, what is it like to have this fortified roof? You know, and he goes, well, I don't. I don't quite know all the details, but it used to be that every time it rained, whether it was during the day or the middle of the night, it was my job to run around the house and put the buckets in all the right places to collect the water that was leaking in. He says, but now I've got this fortified roof. He says, the buckets have moved outside. <laughs> I sleep through the rain.
0: Oh man, I love
1: it! Right, and you have this moment where I'm sitting, um, I'm sitting outside of uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, having this conversation with someone who doesn't understand all the details of what's saving him, but in just the kind of same profound way that Dorcas was talking uh, to me uh, there outside on the edge of Nairobi, um, I'm hearing from. Um, hearing from Mr. Adams about what his experience is. Uh, you know, I, I sat um, sat with a, a lady after Hurricane, Hurricane Harvey hit um, there in the Houston area. So third time being flooded out. We'll call her Edith. <laughs> so this, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Wright, I just don't want this to happen again. What can we do? and I'm leading a program at FEMA to look at resilience and how do you help folks uh, in that space. As creative as I can be, and as creative as the teams that I work on can be to come up with solutions to address these really painful, awful days, all of it requires me to be quiet long enough to be able to hear where they're at, not jump too fast, too too. Don't get in front of it, right? And then use all the best prowess we have, the best insight we have, to change their future. But do it with them, not to them.
0: I've got so many different things running through my head right now. Like you're, you're kind of blowing my mind here with like just you, you're. What you're, what you've demonstrated to me in the last thirty minutes is what it, what it means to be visionary. And it's, it, it's so cool because. Uh, as i said we you and i have gotten to know each other over the last several years like i i know what you do i'm so inspired by what you do um at the insurance institute but like basically you guys are building things and mm-hmm. then simulating natural disasters to, to destroy them right and, yeah. and the thing is like you know from a passion perspective that just sounds fun like mm-hmm. we get to build stuff like how cool is that we get to build stuff and then we get to blow it up or destroy it or whatever. Like, I mean, just from a, just from a funds, like that just sounds fun. That sounds like the little kid in the, the yard with the Tonka trucks, just building and destroying. Like, how cool is that? But you've now given me this totally different perspective because it's sure. I bet it's still fun, yes. <laughs> but that's not why you do it. You've got this perspective and it's like this true mission of ending human suffering. And what I see in front of me is somebody that, that listens to the stories of people and then bring like really lets those stories resonate and sink in and really understand it and then be able to act to do something about it. And that's the real mission. And I, and I just, I see in front of me somebody that, that leads an organization by sharing those stories with people and helping your whole organization feel frankly, what you've made me feel in this last 40 minutes. It's pretty awesome.
1: Again, I think you're, you're, you're more generous, uh, than I might deserve. I'll tell you, just even this conversation, uh, more of those, um, synapses of connected in my own mind, yeah. yeah. right? Because you've asked the questions to get me to think yeah. it through in those connections. And I, one of the things I imagine I've got an almost 16 year old and a 13 year old, um, my wife, Wendy and I've been talking about what does it look like to, um, to take them to Nairobi and out to the Masumara? What what it would be like to, to bring them along the way? Um, it's really hard to recreate directly what your experience was from twenty years ago, and I don't know that uh, the teenage mind quite sees it the same way. But you know, it makes me wonder what does what does that look like? And I also hear this kind of piece that goes, hey, "Can am I willing to understand that?" Um, I can still learn from this adventure 20 years later
0: absolutely
1: right i um that's
0: that's pretty it's pretty cool that's pretty powerful and and um you know it it still exists like what's what so i'm able to relate to this really well because as you know back in february i went to africa climbed kilimanjaro we did a safari afterwards and when you do the that safari out of tanzania you go into the Serengeti and you get to see these Maasai villages. One of the things that we did was a very quick, like hour visit to a Maasai village. Um, and it's, it was, it was my, it was one of my favorite parts of the trip. I got to go into the schoolhouse and see these, these, the children like in their environment learning. And it was just like one of the most, like I almost just burst out in tears in the schoolhouse, but these kids were so cute. They were so happy. And it was just like, it filled my heart. Just it, my heart almost exploded in there. It was amazing.
1: Yeah, my my when I was out uh, there in the Masimara, um, our guide was a um, a gentleman uh, in his twenties uh, who was a native, uh, and again they dressed in a particular way, and their earlobes play in a particular way, mm-hmm. uh, and even as we were out there looking at these animals, uh, these vast expanses, it was seeing and hearing it through his eyes. Mm-hmm. I remember watching him look across and he's like, "Um, um, there's the cheetah. Like I can't see it. He's like, no no no, no no, look at it, look at it. Their vision was just so different. Their ability to hear things was, was so different and so beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, and
0: it is accessible if you can. It's, it's very, very worth it to, to make the trip. I definitely would take your kids. I think it would be eye opening. You know, if you get get that opportunity to go back. Um, Roy, before we wrap up, I do kind of want to just just get your perspective because you're in you've been in the industry, um, you, you know, d- disaster relief for 20 mm-hmm. years. And yeah. I, just because this is such an adventure-based podcast, a nature-based podcast, this sort of this whole call to adventure, I do just want to get your kind of overall perspective on this whole idea of this, this man versus nature and then the element of ending human suffering just to kind of bring mm-hmm. this all together. Because to me, it's not necessarily, I mean, we, we can't control nature, right? Right. And, You're right. But we can try, right? And we can try, yeah. and we can try to protect people, and that's what you've been doing. I'm just curious on your 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 take on that.
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, Mother Nature wins,
0: right? So I think we
1: need to stop um, a mindset that says that we can uh, we can change that. Mm-hmm. Here's what we can do: we can narrow the path of disaster. Uh, we, we're not going to stop the tornado. We're not going to stop the hurricane. Uh, you know, yeah, think about wildfires. And a lot of those are initiated by people. And that we should be doing something about. But a lot of them are just dry lightning strikes that hit this area. And it's in the middle of a drought and these pieces that are there. Um, our opportunity. And uh, we think about climate-driven um, uh, pieces of disaster, and how that's making things worse. So there's, there's pieces we need to do to stop eroding <laughs> this earth. Uh, and we uh, need to make sure that we do that with a lot of attention. But in so many cases, we're living in houses and homes that were already built. Uh, we're in communities that are well-established. Uh, can we narrow the path of that disaster? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. If you're at the the the, the crosshairs of an EF four um, tornado, uh, your house is going to be um, all the way down to the slab. Yeah. But the outer bands of an e, of EF two, the one, the zero, they kind of go out. We know how to withstand that, <laughs> right? And so, the, which allows those other people to become. Um, the center point of life and continuity in the community and recovery in the community. Uh, And so man versus nature, humans, um, we're making some things worse and we should do something about that. Um, And we need to lean farther forward in ways that we don't have to experience uh, as much devastation. Um, The floods are gonna come.
0: Um, Can we make sure that the homes are out of the way? yeah i thank you thank you for that perspective it's it's super helpful and uh so i just kind of want to wrap up with a couple of more of additional questions the last one um before we jump into the two fun ones is just your advice for people like 20 years ago you said yes to an adventure and didn't necessarily know why other than you were just going with friends and now i mean an unbelievable career of helping people and living this life of meaning has has been the result. What advice do you have for people um, young and old that have kind of felt that call to adventure and, and, uh, you know, might be experiencing any sort of doubts or fears about, you know, should I do it? Should I not do it?
1: Yeah. Uh, Take the nudge that friends give. (laughs) Okay. Is the first piece of advice. Uh, And the second piece of advice is be the nudge Mm. for someone else. Nice. Uh, right. Um, there are people who love solitude, and people who do adventure in that kind of way. And, and I appreciate those folks. That ain't me. Uh, but I look in this kind of element that goes, um, grab hold of it. Um, those That perspective, particularly when you're able to go to a place by which um, life doesn't look like your own. Some of that adventure happens just by driving four or five hundred miles in our own country here in the united states and some of it requires you to uh spend 10 12 hours on an airplane um but um be receptive to the nudge uh and the flip side of that coin is be the nudge
0: oh i love, love that great advice so you've had this journey it started in africa and now here we are like on this mission to end human suffering i mean it is it's incredible. And Hollywood's going to make a movie about you at some point because the story is so incredible. So, so Roy, I want to know when they do, who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you.
1: It's a wonderful question. And I told you earlier, I was supposed to appreciate beautiful questions. Uh, <laughs> and I will admire your question and tell you that, uh, movies are, movies don't speak to me. <laughs> uh, right. And so I, it's really hard for me to project forward. I'm like, I, I can't sit still long enough. I don't have an attention span, uh, uh, for, uh, for movies, uh, in that kind of way. Yeah. I, so it's a tough one for me. Who's going to play me? Hopefully someone really, really interesting. Uh, and compelling. I, I don't much care who it is. because um, Lord knows I had struggled to actually sit and watch my movie.
0: I love it. I love it so much and it's just it's so interesting because we've had some some very, very high achieving people on this on this podcast and and it's not been a, a, an uncommon answer to say, I don't have time for movies. I don't pay attention to Hollywood. So maybe we'll get a newcomer. Uh, an up-and-coming Oscar, you know, an Oscar winner to be to start their role uh, in in your movie. But I am gonna, I am gonna ask, yeah, what, what's the mo- What's the name of your movie gonna be?
1: No bad days. No bad days.
0: I love it. No bad days. Uh, starring a newcomer that's gonna take the stage and just blow your mind and tell and tell us there the you story go. of Roy Wright and uh, and all that's ensued in his life. I appreciate this conversation so much. It's been so much fun. I really I want to I want to thank you because you are changing lives. I want to thank you for what you do. I want to I want to thank the universe for the experience that you had all of those years ago that inspired you through this path to help people, um, to help people through natural disasters, and to help your mission of of ending human suffering. I mean, it it's a huge mission, and it's incredible, and you're actually doing it. And uh, for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Roy's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. And we'd also appreciate it if you help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Roy, thank you so much for being here. It's
1: been a joy.